Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit BroadwayBullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Well, I wouldn't want it to be too perfect every night. It is live after Working at Lincoln Center, it sounds very huge and elevated. And that's what it feels like, like once you're working there. Because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable with, you know, issues of people being different. I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't, we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Broadway Bullet, Volume 103. This is your host, Michael Gilbo, and we got a lot of great stuff for you. Christine Petty is in the studio to talk about her stints with Forbidden Broadway and her current Broadway production of Talk Radio, which she's in with Liev Schreiber. We've also got interviews with people involved with diet monologues, including a live performance from that, as well as the new musical Adrift in Macau. Marty Cooper is going to be talking about a Spring Awakening. Nope, not the show we talked about endlessly. He is going to be talking about the new crop of musicals that's all opening up in the next couple months. We've also got a lot more, so stay tuned. We're going to jump right into the mix with Christine Petty. Up close. I'm with a theater veteran that I've been a big fan of for for many years, who is currently appearing in the new Broadway production of Talk Radio, but has also done, among other things, numerous editions of Forbidden Broadway in the past. With Christine Petty, how are you doing? Am I a veteran? I'll go put my teeth in. <laughs> is that what I am? <laughs> Uh, I I'm don't think veteran. veteran. I don't think veteran has. I guess should, should I redo the intro? I don't think veteran has to mean ancient. You're not. No, I know. But, I don't know. I, maybe I, I'm a. Everybody calls me a forbidden Broadway veteran. I guess I have, that's been, a, I have been called that, but I guess a theater veteran. Sure, why not? It's been a while now, well, especially maybe. if you include community theater. <laughs> yeah. So, how much community theater did you do before? I did a lot. I did good community theater. I did good stuff. I really did. I did up in Chappaqua, New York, where the Clintons live now. You know, a very affluent community with a lot of money in the in, in the community theater uh, coffers there. And, and um, I did gorgeous production of Evita up there with John Tracy Egan, Broadway's most recent Max Bialish doc before Tony Danza. He was my Che. I was Ava. Um... Oh, uh, a lot of people that are, you know, on in New York working actively in the theater and community theater with me. And um, did a little shop of horrors up there. I did a little night music. Um, I did a lovely production of My Fair Lady and Funny Girl. I had all these great roles when I was really young, you know, in my early 20s. And that was my theater school because I, I'm, I, I majored in communications at Fordham University, I, uh, which I loved. And I love radio, and I, I and I loved what I was doing, um, but because I was working at the radio station at Fordham University, I, uh, you know, a logical uh, a path for me to take was to, to become the arts editor. And when that happened, and I realized that I could get free theater tickets as a member of the press, I started going to the theater three, four, or five times a week. 
I was absolutely insatiable. I would I lived I I went to school on the on the campus in the Bronx and they had something called their their you know their mascot is the Ram. They have the Fordham Rams. <laughs> well, so they'd have the Ram van. And the Ram van, which still exists, would take students from the Rose Hill campus in the Bronx to the Lincoln Center campus. And I'd hop out there, and it cost like a dollar. I'd hop out there, and I'd walk into the theater district, see my plays, go back to Lincoln Center, take the Ram van back up to the Bronx. And that's what began my, you know, my um, addiction to, to wanting to perform, for sure. And, uh, and after college, I started doing community theater. And I did a lot of it, and I got fabulous parts. And, and, and after a couple of years of that and working simultaneously, I couldn't take it anymore. And I quit my full-time job. I'm not going to say how long ago I was advised. <laughs> never let numbers slip. I never mm-hmm. let. I never talk numbers, but it was long ago. You know what? I am a veteran. Let's Taking us right back to the beginning of this interview, I am a veteran. And, uh, and I Well, started. I think in this business, really anything longer than like eight years is like, yeah, a lot of people, you know. a lot of people can make a go of it for a good couple of years, but I think as soon as you get beyond that, I, that's I don't think of a veteran as being you know ancient. I think of a veteran as somebody who's managed to prove that it's more than just a, a passing fancy that I, they can weather. I keep on forgetting, and everyone reminds me. Even my parents remind me. God bless them. You know that. I, I mean, it's been now. You know, I'm into my second decade of only making money, essentially in the business. You know, uh, with the side. Bar over the past four years, I work at Sirius Satellite Radio, and um, but even that's pretty related. Well, <laughs> it's certainly because I'm on the Broadway Channel, and and thank God, you know, I what I realized was, after a year or so of it. Now, my college was not an expensive college, but of course, I paid for it all myself, and um, I realized that I've actually made back my college tuition in income in what I majored in, which is kind of nice. It's a nice little sense of closure. It's not like I, all that time was wasted. And, and I just, I really do, I do, do, do love radio. I really, I really enjoy it. I, I love being in a studio, in a booth like this, and I just like it. Through all that, what ended up drawing you into your long history with Forbidden Broadway? I had been going to open calls after I decided I wanted to, to try this professionally. But I knew no one in the business. I knew nobody. Nobody. I didn't have a friend who was an actor. I knew nothing. I just knew you by backstage. And I went to every open call I could, and I couldn't get arrested. And I didn't have an agent, obviously. And I, but I finally said, that's it. I can't take this anymore. The cattle calls were depleting. They were exhausting. I said, I'm not going on another open call until I get an agent. I can't do this. I need an agent to submit me like a human being. And I'm just going to stop it and just make finding an agent a full-time job. And if I don't, I don't. Then I opened backstage that very day, and there was an open call for Forbidden Broadway. And I went, well, one more. I'll go to what? Because that, you know, I I, I think I could do that. I think I could do that, you know. And I had sent them a picture and resume years earlier, a long time before. But, of course, it was unsolicited, and they must have – now knowing the people involved as intimately as I do now, God knows they must have thrown darts at it. But, <laughs> um, 
I went to this open call and they saw like 250 girls and I was the first on their list, they said. As a matter of fact, I discovered that Gerard Alessandrini wanted me for the New York show. This was for a national tour, a non-equity national tour that I auditioned for. But I discovered long after the tour was over that Gerard, after seeing me, wanted to put me in the New York production. But they needed me for the national tour. And after that, they needed me for another, for the Detroit company, where I, where I, where I lived for about 11 months in Detroit. And then they put me in the Denver company. And at that point, Gerard had said that he'd put me in New York as soon as there was an opening. And I was in Denver. We were rehearsing. And I hear that they're having a new opening. And they've lost one of their actresses. And they've recast the role. And I went, what? But he promised. He said he put me in the New York company. I don't believe this. I don't believe this. So I called up Gerard Alessandrini from Denver. I went, hi, Gerard. It's Christine Petty. Um, I don't know. You know, I'm in Denver and everything. And, um, you know, we're opening in a week or so. But, I mean, I know you mentioned that, you know, if, if you could, you'd put me in the New York, New York show. And I just wanted you to know. It's like, I don't really need to stay in Denver. I mean, I don't, I'm not like, I don't have my heart set on staying here. Because, um, you know, if anything comes up, I, I'd happily come back to New York. If anything happens. And he says... <laughs> Oh, well, everybody imp- does an impression of Gerard like this because he has a very deep voice. So we all sound sort of like Kermit the Frog or a Disney character because nobody can get their voice as deep as his. But he's like, well, Christine, actually, um, we are doing a new edition, and I was going to call you in a day or so and ask you if you'd like to be in the new edition, but we wanted to wait until you opened the show in Denver. And, you know, you got that out of out of the way and sort of, you know, finished concentrating on that. And I went, oh, Okay, because I was all set to go, what do you mean you're not going to use me in the new edition? I was all set to really, you know, <laughs> show a, little, a lot of gumption. And uh, and then I actually got what I hoped to get. And so I came back to New York. And the funny thing is I called up a friend of mine, Michael Levine, who everybody in the business knows. He's a major vocal coach. And I called him up to tell him the good news. And I went, hi. He went, hi. I said, I have to tell you something. He went, you got the show in New York. I went, what? He went, oh, I've known about it. I've known about it for days. Everybody at the TKTS booth, the Flyer Boys, they all knew that I was coming into New York. Everybody knew but me. Anyway, so that's how I started with it in New York. And then um, I got into it, and it, it ran for two whopping months and closed. And then we took it to Los Angeles and did it there. And then we opened Forbidden Hollywood, uh, started it down in San Diego, and took it up to L.A. again. That was a big hit in L.A. It was very well received, and we brought that to New York City. And then, then when that closed, we started with a brand new edition of Forbidden Broadway. You know, it was called Forbidden Broadway Strikes Back, and it was back in New York. You know, uh, for the first time in about a year or two. But it had never—it's never not been in performance somewhere for 25 years now. Before we continue, I'd like to play one of my favorites of yours from Forbidden Broadway. Uh, does this need any setting up, Liza, one note? No, none of them really do. That's what a good parody is. It doesn't need a lot of setting up. The song itself, it sets itself itself up. And just know that it's Liza Minnelli. Please, God, I hope they can tell it's Liza Minnelli. Jeez. <laughs> that I'd be a pretty miserable veteran of this show if I had to explain it. Mama taught me to sing one note, and the note I sing is this. <laughs> ah! 
no vibrato and can't sing legato at all. I'm Liza Bonote, squeezing out high notes and sneaking right by notes takes gold to bounce round the stage like a ball. I'm a little brass and a lot of drums, maybe kind of crass, still the public comes. I'm Liza Bonote, Daddy Minnelli and Uncle Gene Kelly said, kid, squeeze out your high note, you'll be a star and they'll know you as far as Madrid. And Mama made sure that they did. Now I have her voice as she did bequeath but if i had the choice i'd have fixed my teeth i dress in red sequins blue sequins clear sequins gold sequins and sometimes halston chiffon Start singing, your ears will start ringing in pain. That's why all oh, my fans snort cocaine. <laughs> Can I tell you something? I just feel so happy. <laughs> really, I do. And let me tell you why. You see, I just recently made my Broadway comeback at the Palace Theater in New York City, just like my mama did so many years ago. And you know, my mama, an actress, she. Wait a minute. You know, when I say my mother, the actress, does anybody know who I'm talking about? All right, let me tell you, my mother was Judy Garland. That's right, she played Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. Isn't that terrific? That's right, that was Mama. Well, Mama made a Broadway comeback at the Palace Theater so many years ago, and so did I, only better. And let me tell you that there's a reason I came crawling back to Broadway. And I can tell it to you in two simple words. Papa. That's right, Papa. Now, Papa, oh, Papa, wait, do you know who my father was? All right, I'll give you a hint. It wasn't my mother. <laughs> you know, my mother was Judy Garland. Did you know that? Yeah, she played Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. I know, it's terrific. Well, Papa, Papa was Vincent Minnelli. And he directed, well, some of the best movie musicals ever. I mean, right, an example, An American in Paris, <laughs> Gigi, Kismet, Brigadoon. He loved all that French stuff, do you know what I mean? And my entire Broadway show is dedicated to the music from Papa's movies. And, oh, Mama and Papa, they were just the best show business couple, do you know what I mean? And that's why I love show business so much. I mean, I just love everything about it. <laughs> I love the sets and the lights and the color and the costumes. I, lo I love the piano player, whoever he is. <laughs> no, wait a minute, I'm being silly. Of course I know who he is. He is Brad Ellis, and I think he's just the best. Isn't he just the best? But you know something? Brad, but he's so much more than my music director and my pianist. I mean, Brad is... Well, I mean, he's probably my best friend in the whole world. Do you know what I mean? Brad, you know I adore you. We've just known each other forever. How long has it been there, darling? Ten days. This was ten days, but I just, I love you. You're terrific. <laughs> now, I was talking about Mom and Papa. And you know, Papa... Do you know who my mother was? Do you know my mother was Judy Garland? Did you know that? That's right. Well, she, right, she played Dorothy in A Star is Born. <laughs> I know, it's fabulous, isn't it? Well, if you saw that movie, you probably know that she sang one note in that film well, better than anybody ever did. And do you know something? She taught it to me. And guess what? I'm gonna sing it for you right now. Hit it, Brad! Oh! will give you a pain. I'm Liza One Note. My singing will drive you in. Yes. You've done so many parodies in Forbidden Broadway, and we get into talk radio, but from what I understand, that's a lot of what 
the different voices and the different characters you could bring mm-hmm. is a lot of what brought you into talk radio on Broadway. But what goes into creating such a spot-on parody of these performers? It, it gets easier, I will say that. It's so much easier now than it, than it was in the beginning, because in the beginning I'd never done any of them. My audition, I had to... Uh, they said, do you do impressions? And I said, well, no, but I do my Italian grandmother. So, you know, I said, oh, Madonna, Christina, what are you doing over here? Come give me a bunch of, bunch of kisses. So that was my Italian grandmother. And then they said, can you do Carol Channing? And I well, anybody can do Carol Channing. I mean, that's pretty extreme. Uh, then they gave me a Merman and a Patti Lapone, and I did the best I could, and they were very happy. Uh, but as the years went on, it just got easy. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why. I think I really just developed a muscle. I, I really do. Like, for instance, uh, Angela Lansbury, they said they were going to put her in the show. And who doesn't love Angela Lansbury? But I went, oh, God, okay. Well, I, I guess I'll I, – uh, I don't know how to do Angela Lansbury. And I knew it was – I thought it was going to be mediocre to passable. And it would just be a number that would have to rely upon the familiarity of the song they were using and the costume. And then I opened my mouth, and I went, wow, that was really, that sounded like her. And our producer is obsessed with Angela Lansbury and has been since he was a boy. And he, his eyes just tripled in size and went, wow. I went, yeah, I think that was, how did that happen? Where did that come from? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it, 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 I think it's a muscle. I really do. Because, I mean, so many, of the, and not just yourself, but the other performers, so many are spookily on. It's not like Saturday Night Live where a lot of times, to me, even on Saturday Night Live, a lot of the people do impressions anymore. It's just the costume or general gestures. But a lot of times it's the costumes and the gestures definitely help. But a lot of times vocally, I mean, listening, you know, I've, I've listened to the cast albums so much. Mm-hmm. And there I don't see, you know, the, and still right. so many times, you know, the all the various people that everybody does just... It's kind of mind-boggling the, you know, how, how you channel these people. They, they have an ability at Forbidden Broadway to hire, I mean, almost without exception, the nicest, loveliest, most talented people. I mean, I've worked, I've worked in that show for so, so, so many years. I have done quite literally countless performances. I can't count how many. I have no clue. We all get along. We all enjoy each other. There's no reason we should because we're exhausted. We're racing around like chickens with our heads cut off. And yet despite that, you know, it's um, th- there's something about the temperament of the people. And I, maybe it's connected to the, just their their talent. I, I don't know. But they're, they're, for the most part, very intuitive people. And they're intuitive mimics, obviously. And, and I, they, too, I think after a while, particularly after a while, you just know how to zero in on something specific and bring that to the front and and, and to bring that to the surface of it you know of a character you just you figure it out does something like forbidden broadway at the same hand does that ever turn into a double edged sword to you when auditioning for other things oh it's a co- oh absolutely nobody knows what to do with me because when they think of me they think of like i went into an audition for a major broadway musical to replace somebody and I walked in, and there was a table of very happy-looking gentlemen. I mean, it was the lovely vibe from the table. And one of them looked at me and went, it's Liza Minnelli. And I thought, that, that's very sweet that he... But then I went, oh, my God. And now I have, looking at my watch, two and a half minutes to prove that I'm not. Because Liza Minnelli had no place in this old-fashioned musical that I was auditioning for. 
And if I can't change his mind in two and a half minutes and, and sort of flush the Liza memory out of his head, you know, it doesn't serve me. And it, as a matter of fact, I didn't get the part. I mean, I, I didn't think of that until after the audition was over, thank God. I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, obsess about it. But, um, yeah, my opinion is that people don't really know where to put me. You know, I should be playing the wisecracking secretary or the crazy soccer mom or the, you know what I mean? There's a lot of uh, categories I could fit into. But if they've seen you do too much, they don't know what how to categorize you. And uh, actors often say, I don't want to be pigeonholed, but you're, you, you'll work when you're pigeonholed, you know. And my pigeonhole is a strange little hole with not a lot of pigeons in it. You know what I mean? And you don't get asked to do very much other than the funny voice. They just don't think. I did a, I did a, an evening of Comden and Green that I, I worked very hard on, and it, it was a wonderful evening with a lot of high-powered, you know, character-driven songs, which is why I chose it, so that when people came to see me do this cabaret show, they'd get funny, loud, fast, and funny, which is what they wanted, but they'd also get character and not impressions. And then I threw in, obviously, some lovely ballads and some serious songs that Comden and Green wrote, and people came up to me. This was exactly why I did the show, so I, I, I reached my goal. People would come up to me and say, you have a very good voice. You should sing. You should sing in your real voice more often, Christine. As if it was their bright idea. You know what I mean? (laughs) And I didn't have a clue that I had a real voice, you you know. Um, But you have to sort of wean. You have to tell them what what they think they know, you know. You you have to sort of – and I, I, you know, am able to do it through my work as a cabaret performer because I'm not given a lot of opportunities because these people don't see me do anything but goof. And so it is It is limiting. And, uh, uh, but, you know, happily, like talk radio, I'm yes, very happy to do it because. It was right into talk radio. Well, yeah. We, you know, we're creating characters from the written page that are, that, who, who have no, literally no sound yet. I mean, I'm sure there's certain things about the text that, you know, guide you down a certain path as far as rhythm and texture and attitude and so forth. But I'm playing a 15-year-old girl who's pregnant, who's having a, you know, a conniption fit, which is a 15-year-old term. Uh, and, um, you know, that's certainly that's certainly not me. <laughs> that's certainly uh, a challenge. I'm playing an agoraphobic woman who doesn't leave the house because she's petrified of germs. Um, I guess uh, just to make it clear for any of our listeners, no, you're playing you play many callers on this play that's about a late. Yeah, I have to explain to people because I've been involved in serious radio for, you know, about four years now. So when I say I'm doing talk radio in New York, <laughs> they go, oh, yeah, how's the show going? Well, we haven't started yet. You, uh, uh, have you interviewed anybody cool? And I go, no, I'm doing talk radio on Broadway. Yeah, who? who uh, what time are you on? Nobody's paying attention to what I'm saying. Exactly. It's like third base. And so I have to explain. I'm in the play, talk radio, starring Liev Schreiber on Broadway at the Long Acre Theater. And it sounds uh, obnoxious, but I have to say it because people aren't listening clearly. And there, Liev is, uh, uh, plays a, you know, a loudmouth, edgy, uh, uh, cruel, you know, passionate uh, talk show host, radio show host, radio talk show host, there it is, and he takes calls all night, and there are two women and three men who are off stage playing the voices of, you know, 25 callers, or more probably, I really haven't even counted. You know, the goal obviously is to never sound like the same person, 
and it takes place in Cleveland, which is cool because I've never had to really conjure up an Ohio accent, you know, and it's kind of fun because we don't have, you know, we don't, I don't, I don't have to fall back on the requisite. My God, let me tell you something, the requisite New York accent or the deep, deep Southern twang, you know, there are certain little, little tricks when you go to voiceover auditions for commercials, you know, that you use. There's certain voices that are full of color and flavor and texture and others that you don't think about. So this is an area, this Midwestern region that um, we're trying to investigate, all of us. And it's it's really wonderful. And so and I, I love it because it's funny when I watch some of the actors, some of them look at each other when we're when we're rehearsing, even though they're callers. And because I've done so much radio, I don't look. In this case, it's wonderful, but I'm wondering if, you know, the next show I do, please God, make it be soon after this, you know. Do I look people in the eye or have I done radio so much that I'm just looking people in the microphone? I, I don't know. Um, but it's kind of cool. It, it's really kind of cool. And uh, it's a great segue for me from, you know, from musical theater into straight theater, using what I know, voiceover, the art of being a voiceover, you know, performer, combined with what I know about radio. So it's really, I swear, it's very serendipitous. It's as if God said, here, I'm going to give you a gentle consistent nudge into straight theater and I hope I I'd love to stay there for a while because I can talk too you know so how long is uh, is talk radio closed run or is it scheduled to open it's, it's scheduled to close the end of June I've yet to uh, find out I haven't even asked because we're in you know, we, you know <laughs> we, we want to get the first performance out of the way but um, I, I don't know if there's room for a, an extension or not um but it's a good healthy run, I'd say, from, you know, March, April, May, June. That's four months. You know, that's, that's an, it's a good healthy limited run. Um, and that's the intention. It's at the Long Acre. Uh, Liev Schreiber is just so charismatic and dynamic. And, you know, he fills every square minute of the evening. It's 90 minutes without an intermission, too. So it's like getting on a train, you know. Once you're on, you can't go to the bathroom. But anyway. <laughs> 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 well, I do want to play one more song here before we uh-huh. close out the interview. And uh, this one was your suggestion. Uh, it's my what's favorite. This one? Well, when we were doing Forbidden Broadway, Ethel Merman was dead for quite a while. But we were. this was Forbidden Broadway Strikes Back, if I'm not mistaken. And we uh, needed uh, some more female characters, but they were all dead. And I was talking to Brian Batt, my friend Brian, who had been understudying in Sunset Boulevard just prior to that. And we were talking about the microphones sticking out in front of everybody's face, looking like warts and moles, and 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 they they hang off the edge of the fedoras in the henchmen. With the, the henchmen are after Joe uh, Joe Gill- what's his name Joe Gillis, and uh, I said they were like hanging there like a wasp, like a bug, <laughs> and um, he said, oh honey, and he starts telling me microphone stories, and I said. Oh, my God, you should come out as Joe and sing something from Sunset, and I'll come from the back of the audience as Merman and go, Sing out, Louise! What do you need that microphone for? We didn't need microphones. We had voices then. And so we run up to Gerard Alessandrini, and we say, Gerard, can you write some kind of a number where, like, Merman comes from the back of the house and is, is you know, a- attacking this new kid from the new era of Broadway? And uh, he kind of got a little, little twinkle in his eye and went, Hmm, okay, made a little note with pencil. The next day, the next day, he came in with this song, exactly as you'll hear it. We did not change a word. We did not change a phrase. We did not change a note. It was perfect from top to finish, and it's, it's one of my favorite Forbidden Broadway numbers. Sure, 
I came out here to star with Glenn, acting so cool, looking for fame. I lost my Tony, though, unluckily. But after a year, this show is hell. Hydraulics made a rancid smell. No one is bitchier than Buckley. Sunset Boulevard, big set Boulevard, ticket buying tourist, be wary. Sunset Boulevard, misscanned Boulevard, lucrative and dull, a little scary. Sunset Boulevard, what? Sunset Boulevard. Sing out, Louise! Excuse me, I'm working here. Sing out, sing out! Sunset Boulevard, What kind Sunset of a song is that? Boulevard. What kind of a voice is that? What are you doing? Hey, listen, what's this black growth on your forehead it's here? It's my microphone. Oh, that's that new Andrew Lloyd Webber disease I heard so much about. Ugh. Sunset Boulevard, Sunset Boulevard. Stop, stop, what? Stop. Sounds like bullshit vod to me. You call that singing? Times have changed, Miss Merman. This is how we sing nowadays. I keep singing though my voice is air. I keep going when there's nothing there. There's a big black lump inside my hair. You wonder why? I'll tell you why. Walking through the show each night But in spite of that you'll hear all right Stars like me seem ever tireless Thanks to my wireless head microphone Kid, in my day we didn't need microphones We had voices then You don't need amplifying You'll be loud I'm glad you got a chance to join us. I know it's a crazy week for you. Yeah. Uh, as as we're taping this, it's just before you open with uh, 
with talk previews, radio. right, right, right. And I understand you're hoping to try to get yourself a solo album recorded sometime soon. It would be nice. I would love to put, the, you know, there are there are some some songs from Forbidden Broadway I like to re-record. There are some new uh, additions to my repertoire uh, that I've created myself that I would love to put down for posterity. And I think a lot of people apparently like to listen to this at cocktail parties <laughs> or something. I don't know. Well, we'll hope to feature that again if you do. Yeah, thank you. Get that you. done. And thank you so much. And best of luck with talk radio and everything else going on. I appreciate it. Oh, you're terrific. I think you're wonderful. Broadway bullet. Ow! The Call Board. Well, we have a few announcements this week for the call board. First off, I want to congratulate our Grey Gardens ticket winners. They signed up for our Broadway Bullet website, and they won a pair of free tickets each. It's Mystic Susan from Rockaway Beach, New York, and Kirsten Matei from Stamford, Connecticut. They will be attending Grey Gardens with a friend of their choice. So congratulations. We are going to be offering a discount special to everybody who is registered for the site. So uh, we're, we're still getting that code for that, so you might still have a day or two to get your name entered. Also, you know, we started off covering the Nymph Festival, so I do want to remind any budding composers out there that uh, you're in your last week of being able to submit to Nymph. The New York Musical Theater Festival is looking for their new shows, but the submission deadline is March 1st. Just head to nymf.org for more information, but you owe it yourself to get your show in. If you got one, it's a great launch pad. Also, we're going to be starting something new. I'll be giving more details in the future, but we're going to be calling this series Waiting in the Wings, and we got a couple people helping me put together some you know, established Broadway performers and even occasionally some stars to perform new songs from new composers in the theater. So what we're looking for is some songs, some great songs from composers. You can send a demo in MP3 format to info at broadwaybullet.com. Please include the lyric sheet and you know and your copyright notice information and who wrote it and whatnot. The demo does not have to be fancy. That's kind of the whole point. They're going to come in here in the studio and do a nice, simple live performance like you've heard on the show. Uh, but we should be able to hear the melody and the lyric somehow through the demo. But please get those submitted so we can have some songs to start choosing from and start lining up some performers to sing your numbers on the show. Okay, um... So that's some stuff going on. Now a little bit around New York. We've got the Brooklyn Academy of Music is holding its Spring Gala in tandem with the first performance of the New York premiere of Edward Scissorhands, Matthew Bohr's dance piece based on the Tim Burton film. That's on March 14th, and it's a big fundraiser for the Brooklyn Academy of Music. Another thing going on, we have Intimate Nights, the Golden Age of Cabaret. It's the title of an upcoming seminar about the history and future of the New York cabaret scene. And that's going to be on February 27th, so it's coming up quick at the Broadway Comedy Club. And finally, Tony Award winner Patti Lapone, last seen on Broadway as Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd, is going to be performing at the Rose Theater in the Time Warner Center on March 6th as part of Lincoln Center's Spring Gala and fundraising events. If you want more detailed information on anything I've mentioned in the call board, you can just check out the show notes at broadwaybullet.com. Check on Volume 103 because we have links to every story we talk about in this show. 
in development. A show that started off as a one-woman musical is now taking the next step, so to speak, being presented at the Midtown International Theatre Festival with the Next Step Developmental Series. We have the original writer and performer, Monica Bauer, here with one of the new actors as they expand the show into a full production, Eleonora S. Thomas. How are you doing? Just fine, Michael. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here, Michael. Just before we started this interview, you were talking about some funny stories about when you were doing the show by yourself. Oh, yeah. I started this in Denver, Colorado as a fundraiser for a theater that I was trying to, to fund, you know, uh, one of those wonderful nonprofit theaters that was going to be called Mostly Musical Theater. I thought that was a great name for a theater. Unfortunately, most of the people in Denver would rather die than go to see live theater most of the time. God bless them. They're great people. They love their sports. So we went under. And as we were going glug, 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 and we needed to raise money, I decided I would write something that would really connect with a lot of people. And I happen to have been through something that connects with a lot of people, and that's dieting, which is my my hobby, (laughs) my avocation. What's your favorite diet? Oh, God, you know, I went on that liquid diet in the 80s when Oprah came out on her show carrying that little red wagon that was supposed to be symbolic (laughs) of all the fat that she'd lost on this Optifast. So I, I signed right up for it, you know, went down and did the hospital thing. No solid food at all for six months and I had to get off it because it screwed with your gallbladder. A lot of these big uh, deal diets that are promoted as as great fast weight loss, uh, they eventually hurt your health. And that's the other real strong story of Diet Monologues, the musical. It's about not only accepting yourself as you are, but if you're going to diet, for God's sake, do it with some sense. Don't listen to the Dr. Dan diet books out there that tell you all you have to do is drink the milk of bees or, or give up uh, one food group. And uh, those are all sad stories in the end. So this is a great musical for anybody who's ever been on a diet, anyone who's ever contemplated going on a diet, and a whole bunch of people people out there who are dieting just for those last five pounds, and I tell them, give it up. Accept yourself. If the cup runneth over, so will the stretch pants. It's okay to have a little extra. If you'll excuse the pun, I like to say it has mass appeal. <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you, dear. <laughs> well, I imagine there's a lot of people wondering exactly how this uh, turns into a musical. So before we continue, one of the best things might be to let him hear a song from the show. I know Eleonora is going to perform a couple numbers here in the studio today. That's right. And your musical director, Carl Hahn, has come in the studio to play piano live, so it's fantastic. So what's this first number we're going to be hearing? Well, the first number is sung by the character of Sister Rose. Um, She is a nutrition nun, and the song is called They're Going to Hell. The boys who put the sugar into our food, knowing it's a substance that can alter mood, making addicts out of all of us so they can sell. Guess what? They're going to hell. They make the diet food and add sugar too. Chemicals and additives, a toxic stew. Then they tell us that it's good for us so they can sell. Guess what? They're going to hell. Imagine a rotisserie that rotates night and day. Executives all roasting their eternities away. On Satan's backyard barbecue, like chickens on a skewer. They pay the price for making bucks inside a moral sewer. The clever ad men who sell chocolate love. When they die, they will not go to God above. They have turned us all to Pavlov's dogs. They ring that bell. Guess what? 
diabetic death with fat and salt appeal Should spend his afterlife in the eternal deep fat fryer That's the least that God can do to punish such a nasty liar They ought to stop lying to the little ones Start calling them unhappy meals And package them with a dolly that shows their future If they continue to eat at McDonald's Morbidly obese Molly <laughs> They could package her with a little plastic syringe For injecting herself with insulin They're creating an epidemic of diabetes in our children And they don't care one bit Those corporate asshole sons of bitches Ask Dr. Dan who tries to sell us teas Made from plants and bats and from the milk of bees Oprah, won't you lift that rock and see where they all dwell? Guess what, guess what, guess what? Guess what, guess what, guess what? Guess what, guess where they go? To <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the Midtown International Theater Festival and this next step development. Is that, did I get it all right? There's so many yes, letters. Yes, they, they, they keep trying <laughs> to add more letters just as a challenge, the mental challenge. Keep us sharp. If we can remember all the friggin' letters in the acronym, then we can stay <laughs> at the MITFA. <laughs> which is the Midtown International Theater Festival. This is John Chatterton over at Where Eagles Dare Theater on 36th Street. And uh, in the summer, he has this very well-known festival. It's going to go in, I think it's eighth year this summer. And I was uh, very happy the first time I submitted to them. They took my wonderful show, which is a very different show. It's a, it's a straight play. I'm one of those weird people that is trained both as a playwright, and I have a, a master's in playwriting, and as a composer. So um, I have training in both of those areas, so I collaborate very well with myself. <laughs> so the, uh, the st I do straight plays, but not necessarily for straight people, if, if that makes sense to anybody out there in theater land in New York. <laughs> uh, but I had a show at the Midtown this summer called The Maternal Instinct, and it was about a lesbian couple in Boston who were divided over whether or not to have a baby. And it had a lot of humor in it, but not a single song. And if you saw it, you wouldn't imagine that I was writing musicals. But in fact, I trained as a composer first. So that's how that went. John Chatterton fell in love with the maternal instinct, and he offered me a chance to develop another work here. And that's what he did. He took his six favorite playwrights from this summer and asked each of them to come in, take three or four weeks of a Dark Knight series, playing only Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and bring their best work. And so we have. So, Eleonora, yes. what's it like acting in a show with such an obvious control freak? <laughs> somebody, <laughs> somebody who wrote everything, originally performed all the roles. What well, is that like stepping in and working with her? Actually, she's very flexible with her material and your interpretation of it. Um, I've really enjoyed working with Monica, and um, as well as the rest of the cast and our wonderful director, Heather Guthrie. Um, I find that I, I'm coming from Delaware, actually. This is my first experience in New York doing a show off-Broadway. Off uh, <laughs> and it, it's been a learning experience, and I've loved every minute of it. So, 
And, and we should really say that I'm not that much of a control freak. There were people at the Fringe that wrote their own music, wrote their own show, constructed their own sets, and directed. I was smart enough to hire Heather Guthrie to direct, who's and tremendous. And Carl Hahn, our music director. And Carl <laughs> Hahn is a tremendous musical director and accompanist. So I was smart enough to do that, and then I basically walked away and let them uh, do what they needed to do. Who are some of the other people that are in the show? We have probably the best cast of singing actors off off Broadway. We have Kimberly Stern, who was just seen in Becoming Adele off Broadway as a one woman show. Fabulous singer, a former uh, national tour of Annie person, one of those orphans. Uh, we have Renee Claire Bergeron, who's a wonderful singer of everything from light opera all the way to cabaret. We have Alma Ose, who is a wonderful graduate of the LaGuardia School, you know, the fame high school in New York. Uh, she's going to be a great, a great singer you're going to follow for years. And, of course, we have Eleanor S. Thomas, who you heard today. This is an off-night festival, you were saying. So you yes. don't have weekend performances, so means a lot of people who work on regular show schedules get a chance to see you. Yes, that's the fun part, is all you folks out there that are toiling uh, in those wonderful shows and you are off on Monday nights and you say to yourself, ah, oh, gee, I wish I could go to some nice, cheap, wonderful live musical. You can come on <laughs> down uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to Where Eagles Dare, uh, 347 West 36th Street, and come see a show for 18 bucks. We're a showcase. And, uh, yeah, so we, ex we want to see a lot of theater people, especially on that Monday night. And then we, of course, are interested in getting some very smart, savvy producer with money to come in and give us uh, a theater where we can actually play on the weekends. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's the next step for us. And maybe maybe team up with Jenny Craig or Oprah. <laughs> Oprah's producing now. So. Well, you know... <laughs> We do talk about her in that first song. So. Yeah, we, we talk about Oprah. We talk about Rosie O'Donnell. Uh, we, we talk about Rosie O'Donnell singing a musical version of Vagina Monologues. Vagina Monologues, the musical. You say vagina, and I say vagina. My coochie snorter is an all-night diner. Vagina, vagina, an all-night diner. Well, if that isn't enough to get everyone in your audience to come see our show, I don't know what is. Well, thanks for coming down. But before we conclude here, we, we're going to hear one more live number here with Eleonora and Carl. So what's this one about? Okay, well, this song is what we have lovingly termed the salad song. Um, it precedes a monologue called He'd Like to Watch, and it's sung by Lisa, who is a young Italian woman, a little shy, and she loves her pasta. And uh, she wants to find a guy who loves her pasta just as much as she does. All right, well, thanks for coming down, and best of luck in the next step. Thanks. Whenever I was on a date, I'd order what my partner ate. My mother told me that would be polite. But soon enough I realized how often they would be surprised when I matched them steak for steak and bite for bite. All they want to see me eat is salad, salad greens with dressing on the side. Or I could order up some broiled fish dish. Sauces, no thank you, make mine extra dry. All they want to see me eat is salad. Figure that should satisfy all my needs. Mescaline with an arugula chaser. Face it, my 
My plate is filled with weeds. I watch him dig into his steak. I watch him devour his fries. As my plus-size heart is starting to break, I hear myself mouthing these lies. All I want for dinner is a salad. Bring me vegetables and I'll be just fine. Don't mind the dinner rolls. Oh, bring me more water. Or maybe a spritzer without any wine. All I want for dinner is a salad. Croutons, oh no, they only spoil my mood. Don't let that cheese grater guy come around me. Can't have calories in my food. I watch him. He's watching me eat. I know I am on display. I pretend this is my typical meal and live to eat another day. Really want that lobster fettuccine that would satisfy my big appetite. Can't have lasagna. Can't order linguine. Can't drown my sorrows in a martini. Maybe there's a payoff. Oh, he's starting to flirt. Oh, as he eats his dessert. Side. Hey, once again, it's Marty Cooper on the positive side. I'm sorry that I was a bit remiss. I was so enchanted by, by the Encore's production of Follies. I didn't mention people like Victor Garber, v Victoria Clark, Michael McGraw, or Donna Murphy. They were all great. And there were a couple of veterans like Joanne Worley and uh, Christine Baranski. They were all great, and they all added to this very magical experience. I do hope, as certain people are predicting, that it does make it to Broadway. It would be, uh, I mean, to see a successful production of this show would be absolutely great because it is a masterpiece and a lot of people still don't know about it. And as I said last week, I saw the original 14 times. 12 or 14 times, I, I, I forget which. I kind of got, I kind of got lost there. It was, it was my first real theater obsession. Before I press on, I just want to say, uh, hey, to Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. They're going to be doing a couple of fantastic things in the next couple of months. Uh, on March 19th, uh, you will have nothing like a dame. Just use your gold card and you'll be in diva heaven. They sent me the list. I can't even start to mention the amount of great women that are in the show that, that will be entertaining you. And on April 23rd and 24th at the Schubert Theater. Uh, oh, but by the way, I, I forgot to mention the first show will be at, at, at the Marquee on, uh, on Broadway and 45th Street. And at the Schubert Theater on 
April 23rd and 24th, uh, you will have the uh, e Easter Bonnet, the annual Easter Bonnet show. And that's always a lot of fun. And they raise a ton of money. And it would be nice to be part of that. I don't know if you remember, but after I saw Spring Awakening, I was totally dazzled by it. I came back to this show raving about it. Well, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a real Spring Awakening. Uh, and I want to talk about the few things that are coming. Of course, in the, new, the new and last Candor and Ebb musical, Curtains, which boasts David Hyde Pierce and Deborah Monk. And from what I hear, that's going to be a smash. Of course, we have the revival of One Ten in the Shade uh, with the, one of the ultimate divas, Audra McDonald. I'm not sure how that's going to go. It's produced by Roundabout. Uh, it should be great because it's a wonderful story. Uh, it's wonderful music and a wonderful star. Also coming up at the MTC, and I hear that might transfer if it's successful, Love Music, which is the story of Kurt Weill and his wife, Lalalania, starring, of course, Michael Service and the aforementioned Donna Murphy. And of course, the Bobliel and Schoenberg Pirate Queen, opening at the Hilton. I think they're spending somewhere about $25 million on that, and it had better be good. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm, I'm, I'm probably going opening night, and I'll have my report on that shortly because I'm going to go to one of the first previews sometime in March. All I can say is, is if Legally Blonde is as good as they say it is in San Francisco, it'll be a hit on Broadway, and it and it'll fill the Palace Theater. Looking very much forward to that. I wish my friend Mr. Lawrence O'Keefe a lot of luck. He wrote a wonderful off-Broadway show a few years back called Bat Boy. Hopefully he's successful on Broadway. I think it's gonna be an exciting spring. I think we're gonna have an exciting award show come in June when they hand out the Tonys. Looking forward to everything. Once again, this is Marty Cooper saying, stay on the positive side. On the Positive Side is brought to you by The Colony, online at colonymusic.com or in the heart of the theater district at 49th and Broadway. You can always say, I found it at The Colony. On the Boards. The genre of film noir seems to be coming a bit back into vogue. Last week we talked to the La Mama production, La Vie Noire, and now we have the musical at 59 East 59th Street, Adrift in Macau. We have the composer, Peter Melnick, in the studio with us today. How are you doing? Just great, thanks. You know, what must be hard about getting the show mounted is working with a lyricist who is completely unknown. Um, like like this this Christopher Durang fellow. Yes. Well, but I've I've tried to bring him up and bring him along. I've heard he's got promise. He, he's 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 definitely ready to give up his day job. <laughs> so you got quite a lot of things here. You you got a lot on your plate. I can tell. Yeah, but I'm I'm having a wonderful time with it. How has the run been at 59 East 59 Street? Is this your first run for a New York run for? This is the first New York production. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah it's been a long time in coming, and for me it's very exciting. So how do you end up having your New York debut be with such an established name like Christopher Durang? Um, chutzpah. I, <laughs> I'd, I'd written a couple of shows that were, I really think, of as learning curve shows. Then I wrote a couple of, of one-act one act musicals, and I needed a third one to complete an evening. And uh, the second one was, was uh, from a Steve Martin one-act uh, straight comedy called Patter for the Floating Lady. And I thought, you know, the logical choice to collaborate with in this one was, was Chris. Uh, in part because he and I have a, a mutual friend, 
and uh, she had offered to put us in touch. So I made it kind of a cold call to him, and he's a, a lovely guy who took the cold call, and we got to talking, and he listened to some of my music, and we began to uh, to collaborate on this idea. And then it grew from a one act into a whole show. Now, I understand that you have you collaborate often long distance or in separate rooms. Uh, it, it seems to work out that way. I kind, of, I kind of like working that way. It worked for Elton John and Bernie Taupin. That's what I'm told, <laughs> yes. Now, you both, I mean, I know from looking at your resume that you're working on, it seems like about six or seven shows right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, actually, about three. But. <laughs> and I imagine Christopher Durang has always got a lot of hats on as well. I know he's got a commission for the public that, that he, he, I think, now has to resume now that this is, this is in the can. <laughs> So when you're both working on so many different things, how hard is it to find the time to kind of focus and concentrate and get this finished? And well, there, there's a rhythm to things. I mean, we we would when we were just writing before we were ready to, to take it out and, and show it to people, we'd work for <coughs> a couple of weeks straight and get a couple of songs, get three or four songs behind us. So it would it would go in fits and starts then. But once you get to the point where you have a concert reading scheduled or a production, then this becomes the primary attention, and you put all your energy into it and. Uh, this becomes the center of the universe for a while. Yeah, nothing like a deadline. To... <laughs> the, 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 the gun to your head is, is, is our best friend, I think. <laughs> Before we continue, why don't we play one of the songs here, uh, one of your demos of the songs from the show. Do you want to set this up at all? Uh, sure. This, this is, I guess, um, the title song, Adrift in Macau. And uh, this is really a song in which it, all the main characters in our show are stuck in Macau, which is this island off mainland China. Um, and they're all waiting for something to happen and you know one of Mitch is waiting for the right to for the ability to come back home to America because he's been framed for a murder and he has to clear his name somehow and Lorena is somebody who's waiting to uh, maybe waiting for Mitch to notice her and fall in love and then Karina the third character you're going to hear uh, is an opium addicted uh, nightclub singer who's been put out of a job by the other woman are you following all this <laughs> and so Karina you're going to hear comes in partway through the song she's waiting for her opium connection. And then the fourth character you're going to hear is the token Asian person on this island of Macau, because Chris has noticed that uh, in film noir there's often, you can have a whole movie taking place in China and not have a single Asian person. So we have Tempura, because named so because he's been battered by life. Waiting and wondering just what lies ahead Tomorrow is coming, it fills me with dread I've low expectations because of the past I'm adrift in Macau, adrift in Macau And time don't move fast I know what you mean Waiting and wondering about so many things Tomorrow is coming, who knows what it brings I'm edgy and nervous because of my past I'm adrift in Macau, adrift in Macau And time don't move fast the rhythms don't scan, the wind blows too slow We haven't a plan, we haven't much dough It seems hopeless and bleak, can't get what we seek We feel cheated and stiffed, in a word we're adrift Waiting and waiting for we don't know what We're waiting and sitting in kind of a rut it's quite existential, a word we don't know. We're adrift in Macau, adrift in Macau, and time's moving slow. I'm so upset. I'm out of stuff. I went to my stash of pancake mix, and I'm out. What? Oh, nothing. I just didn't have any 
pancake mix left, so I'm waiting for someone to show up with some, you know, pancakes for me. What? Well, that's just to say I'm waiting too. Too? Well, I heard you singing before. I felt lonely. I thought I'd join you. Oh, well, sure. Waiting for pancakes, wondering when they'll come With berries and syrup, delicious, yum yum I think Aunt Jemima is quite unsurpassed I'm a driftin' Macau, a driftin' Macau And time gone, it's moving slow, I feel so anxious Relax and sit back, relax and let go Life's only a joke, it's only a show This it is seems comforting and dumb that's how it is, chum. Are you getting my drift? Uh-huh. Just give in with a drift. Waiting and trying to get through the day. Find some nice distraction to make it okay. The future before us looks endless and vast. We're adrift in Macau, adrift in Macau. And time don't move fast. Listen to them adrift, adrift. What babies they are, adrift, adrift. They whimper and moan. Dither and drone. Put him in boat, out to sea, let him all drown. Glug, 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 it's really bizarre. What babies they are. Nodhead, say yes. Do my boss's bidding. Watch your back, I might kill you. <laughs> no, no, just kidding. Tempura love to joke about mortality. Pay no attention. Go back to your pathetic philosophizing. Tempura, go read soothing sayings of Buddha. I guess we were philosophizing. I didn't think it was pathetic. Neither did I. I mean, we saw a theme between us and we sang about it. Right. 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 The future's unsure. We don't feel at ease like rats in a trap. Like mice eating cheese. It seems hopeless and bleak. Can't get what we seek. We feel cheated and snipped. In a word, we're a dream. Existential. A word we don't know. We're adrift in Macau, adrift in Macau. And time's moving slow. Time's moving slow. What was your reasoning to go with like a film noir kind of stylings? That was just uh, that was the basic premise. Chris, Chris heard a bunch of my songs when we were first talking, and this one song I'd written with Norman Gimbel called "Time," which was a, a, a movie a movie main title song, uh, was kind of in the hoagie Carmichael jazzy bluesy smoky bag that um, just su- just suggested to Chris something he'd been kicking around for a long time, which was to parody film noir, and it turned out we both have this, a great love of film noir. So basically, we just started with a lighthearted notion and just went down the road with that. I imagine the film noir must lead you to a lot of different pathways musically. Well, it's it's fun for me, and, and I'm really, I don't want to say the word old-fashioned, unqualified, but I like songs that are based, that are really rooted in melody and, and interesting harmony, and that's a period that I love. And so for me, writing, writing with a voice like that, it's, it's not a matter of studying a genre. It's just, it kind of comes naturally. It's, it's, it's a place I love to play. Now, this is a comedy, correct? Yes. Now, there have been a lot of different schools of thought with comedy and musical theater, you know, from 
you know, from a song like, or from a show like Spelling Bee, which mm-hmm. makes very, you know, great comic use of its songs in addition to, you know, back to, not the earliest, but remember theory-wise, Stephen Sondheim propagated a big theory with Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, mm-hmm. which where he said his job was to actually slow it down. Mm-hmm. So there's, to, how do you view the music as fitting in with the comedic timing of the show? Well, I think really it's a matter of giving the words some some emotional reality. Uh, I really rely on the words to be the funny part for the most part, and the music kind of gives it its emotional grounding. So I, I, at some point I think we, we may be playing another song, So Long, which is a, it's a torch song ballad, but it's a torch song ballad with, with comedy in it that, that is very particular to Chris's kind of humor. But my job wasn't to be funny, my job was to play it for real. I guess unless you're doing penny whistles for people slipping on banana peels, the job isn't to write funny music. It's 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 to take the moment seriously and play the reality. Well, why don't we go ahead and take a second and listen to that song in the moment? Very good. This this is a uh, as the character who sings it, Lorena, puts it. This is a moving on song. She's finally given up on on Mitch ever paying her any attention at all, and this is her moment of saying goodbye and good riddance, farewell and so long. I'm looking at your bio here, and I'm guessing that you're a big advocate for the get your degree. 
Well, great, grade school, kindergarten, yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I, I am, am a, a, a major dropout and, you know, <laughs> I guess a bad role model for my kids, except that my father and my grandfather before me were also... So what were the programs here that you, that you left? Um, I, well, I went to Harvard for um, three years and uh, left to study music at Berklee College of Music and left there after seven semesters. So, yeah, I had one quarter to go um, because I got my first film score gig. And uh, somehow that seemed more important. And the, the major credit that was waiting for me that I, I never got back to doing was to create a, a cue, a piece of music that was all via MIDI which is, you know, what I spent the next dozen years of my life doing. So I'm, I'm a, a very comfortable dropout. <laughs> what do you want to tell us a little bit more about when and where they can catch Adrift in Macau? Adrift in Macau is playing at uh, 59 E59 theaters, uh, which is 59th Street between Madison and Park. Uh, it's a primary stages production, and those folks, by the way, have been just wonderful to deal with. They've been so supportive and terrific. They've, they've been turning into a real force for developing a lot of new material. Well, they are, they're the real McCoy. They're, they are, they're really there as a, as in terms of development, whatever we needed. I, I don't think I ever heard them say, no, we can't do that. They've been fabulous. The, the show is scheduled to run until March 4th, but I understand that there's a possibility we may extend to the 11th, and we'll be talking about that fairly shortly. So with a bit of luck, there may be some more tickets. I understand that we're, we're not quite sold out, but pretty close through the 4th. All right. Well, thanks for coming down and joining us. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. Okay. Top of the trades. Oh, the top news stories this week. Everybody seems to be wild about Naked Harry, or Naked Harry's Wild, or I don't know. But in any case, Michael Riedel in today's New York Post reports that producers of the new London production of Equus are looking to bring the play to Broadway in the fall of 2007. The show has been receiving never-before-seen levels of buzz, namely due to the young Harry Potter stars disrobing on stage. The show, which Riddell also reports has the highest ever advance for a play in West End history, is due to end its limited run in June when filming begins for the sixth Harry Potter film. A potential Broadway production would likely happen after that filming is complete. Hmm, maybe it also has something to do with the fact that he's 17 and you can disrobe at 16 in London, but uh, I have a feeling he has a birthday before this fall in America. Yes, Biggie Smalls and Tupac Shakur can keep putting out material after they're dead in rap, so why not Candor and Ebb? Westport Country Playhouse has announced that Grammy, Emmy, and three-time Tony Award nominee Eartha Kitt and Tony Award winners Shuler Hensley and Katie Huffman will appear in the new Candor and Ebb musical All About Us, which opens the Playhouse 2007 season April 10th through April 28th. The production is generously sponsored by the private bank of Bank of America. It's based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning play The Skin of Our Teeth by Thornton Wilder. The book is by the legendary Joseph Stein, author of Fiddler on the Roof. The production will be directed by Gabriel Barr, with choreography by hey, our favorite Christopher Gatelli. Lawrence Fishburne, Valerie Pettiford, Usher Raymond, and director George C. Wolfe are among the winners of the 17th Annual NAACP Theatre Awards. The winners were announced on Monday, February 19th, at the Directors Guild of Los Angeles. And because it's impossible to actually have a theatre person present an award, TV stars, Grey's Anatomy star Shonda Wilson and Steve Harris of The Practice were co-hosts and announced the winners. And I'm telling you, she is not going. Jennifer Holliday will reprise her Tony Award-winning performance as Effie Melody White in Theater of the Stars' upcoming production of Dreamgirls. Now, this role that has heartbreaking pathos, I think to me, is at 
age 50 or so, a bit more disturbed at still pursuing the brass ring. But, hey, Jennifer Holliday is a legend, and I'm sure it will be great to see her in the role once again. Holliday has also starred on Broadway in Greece, Chicago, and in Your Arms Are Too Short to Box with God. It was recently announced that Holiday will perform Dreamgirls' classic number, and I am telling you I'm not going, during E! Entertainment Television's Countdown to the Red Carpet, the 2007 Academy Awards, airing from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. on February 25th. The 37th season of the famed Lyrics and Lyricist series at the 92nd Street Y will continue March 17th through 19th with Say It With Music, the songs of Irving Berlin. The five shows at the East Side venue will boast the talents of the Apple Trees, Brian Darcy James, as well as Ivy Austin, Jenny Powers, Max Morath, and Vince Giordano and the Nighthawks. Robert Kimball is the artistic director of the Berlin Salute. Charles Osgood will host. The concerts, according to press notes, will explore how Berlin's work over the course of 80 years reflected the evolving cultural landscape of America, from the jazzy ragtime of the early 20th century to 1940s classics like Easter Parade. Yep, they listed 20 years in covering 80 years. And finally, in the rumor mill, Meryl Streep nailed Cherry Jones' sister's Aloysius role in the film version of the 2005 Broadway hit Doubt. It's John Patrick Shanley's exquisitely crafted story of the priest's did he or didn't he, was he or wasn't he, will she or won't she go for another Oscar. Well, I'll be bringing you more of the week's top headlines next week in Top of the Trades. Curtain Call. Well, that almost wraps up a great episode. Thanks, everybody, for coming in. We got a great show lined up next week. We're going to be talking again to the guys from Gutenberg. We talked to them back in episode five, but uh, it's gone from the New York Musical Theater Festival to Off-Broadway to being extended and cast changes. It's doing very well. So we're going to talk to them again. We've got the musical Uncle Wiggly, uh, the return of Uncle Wiggly here in the studio. I'm also scheduled to talk with the founder and executive director of Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS, Tom Viola. Not only is it a great organization, but I have a feeling we're going to hear some really great stories from behind the scenes over the years. We're going to have a lot more as well, so make sure you tune in. Be sure to head to broadwaybullet.com and check out our web notes. We have links to everything we talk about in the show, so if you want to find out more, we make it very easy. Again, I want to congratulate our Grey Gardens ticket winners, Mystic Susan from Rockaway Beach and Kirsten Matei from Stamford, Connecticut. Congratulations. Hope to hear more from everyone of what you're looking for. And remember, if you are a composer, two opportunities. Get your musical into Nymph Fast. It's due March 1st. And get some songs in to us at info at broadwaybullet.com. We're going to be putting together a great series called Waiting in the Wings, and you could be having a big Broadway performer performing your song live in the studio for our entire audience. Well, Again, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and I will see you next week. And until then, thanks for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet. Actually, the Barfay thing comes from my whole life. People just chilling, vulture, boggler. So it didn't take much, though, when he um, proposed. I said yes. It's fun to know that those lines will stay in the show when other actors do it in the future.
future. The hairs went up on the back of my neck. It was a thrilling moment. with the audience and explore them a little bit. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.